Welcome to A Story to Share. My name is Megan Adderwan and I am your host. Today's episode is with Bao Lam. He's a Vietnamese man who happens to be gay. And this does not define him as a human. However, his story is about his experiences and his experiences of navigating being a gay man in Vietnam. I'd like to point out one thing in particular, and that is your gender identity is not the same as your sexual preference, which is something that oftentimes is a misconception people aren't aware of, or maybe we just forget to separate the two. So if that's something that you would like to learn more about, you can go to the show notes. I'd also like to invite you to listen with an open mind. If you are listening from a country that is outside of Vietnam or from a different perspective, such as maybe a Western perspective, to bear in mind that life looks very different for people in different countries. And for some people, coming out or choices might be different. So as always, I invite you to listen with an open mind and an open heart and try to share that common humanity by connecting with the person telling the story and also through the eyes of their culture and the culture surrounding them. With that said, quick note about our sound, (laughs) not a secret. I know it hasn't been stellar and I'm a beginner at the beginning. And we appreciate your patience. We are trying as hard as we can. We are trying to find the best places to record, the best audio to use, the best software, and it takes time. So we just hope that you will be patient and that you can bear with us and enjoy our quality content while we work our very best to bring you amazing sound. Here's Bao. Welcome to the story show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining our show. How's your day going? It's been great. And initially I asked you to be on the podcast. What made you decide that you wanted to join? I like the idea of a podcast and mm-hmm. whatever the meaning it is that you are trying to do. Mm-hmm. It relates to humanity and you know, sharing your own stories that you haven't told a lot of people mm-hmm. or that doesn't come up in any normal conversations mm-hmm. between people. And I think people or like humans need a better understanding of each other so we don't judge we don't give our opinions that that is that if we're not knowing their story that is not good so so that's what i think absolutely it's those assumptions that we make about each other right when we we judge each other by maybe the outside but we don't really know people's stories Mm -hmm. but everybody has a story Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you know we know each other from leaders create leaders Mm -hmm. but we don't know each other well uh, but I've always found you to be somebody that I'm drawn to and that I want to hear. Like, when you speak, I want to, I'm, you're somebody that I want to listen to. And so I think just recently, you know, those, you've been posting on Facebook. What was that? There was a series that you were posting? Yeah, that was, it was like an, an, like an initiative I'm trying to do. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, learned, uh, I've learned about myself through, um, they call it the science of numerology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I discovered that I need to express myself more, mm-hmm. being more, um, I would say, uh, warm or cozy as mm-hmm. a person mm-hmm. as a whole, expressing love and gratitude. Mm-hmm. So I created that initiative just to uh, keep myself from learning to express in love and expressing gratitude to mm-hmm. other people. 
and um, the initiative is called 100 Days of Love. Okay, so yeah. I just I wanted to like you know every day or uh, whenever I felt something and I see something that I like about or that I love about my life, you know I just I'm just gonna post it on Facebook and share that. And every day is going to be a, a different topic, a different thing. It could be something concrete, like I love coffee, or it could be something as you know conceptual, like you know I love my sense of freedom or my sense of humor, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you realize it or not, but it did have an impact because that is also I noticed it. Okay. And I'm not really on Facebook that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't pay a lot of mind to Facebook, mm-hmm. and it stood out to me. And so when I started reading your posts, I went, it really felt like it resonated with the concept of a story to share and of this idea of sharing things that we don't normally say and we don't normally share, but within, but taking the time with intention Uh to actually share it with people Uh and to say what's on your mind or to let people know things about you that they may not know otherwise Uh to see you for who you really are and not just, you know, the pretty pictures. And allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to other people too. Yeah. That is, I think that is important. Because a lot of time I think we try to put up a, like a nice image of ourselves for, for the world to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially on social media. True. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing that I believe in strongly is the power of being vulnerable. That vulnerability is a strength. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share with us what your story is mm-hmm. and where you'd like to begin today? Okay, so I guess um, today I'm going to talk about my uh, sexuality mm-hmm. uh, and what it's like to be raised as a, a gay person in Vietnam, mm-hmm. especially. Um, I haven't. I think I haven't been able to say it out loud to a lot of people that I am gay, um, not because I deny who I am or do not uh, or that I'm not proud of being who I am. Uh, just that it doesn't sort of come up into most conversations mm-hmm. or that I don't see the need to telling other people um, who I am or who I am sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, normal people don't go out and say, hey, I'm straight. So why do gay people have to go out and say, hey, I am gay to, to, to the world? But uh, I think being raised in Vietnam in a communist country and in an, in an Asian um, culture, mm-hmm. it, it is something, um, not so much today, but before it was, uh, I think it was taboo mm-hmm. to, um, to expressively exp- uh, saying that you are gay or acting gay to other people. Um, it could have, it, I think before they see it as a shame to a family sometimes. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience of having to navigate that? So I think I have realized that I was gay since I was um, pretty young, about six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. I knew that in some way, but even back then, I was somehow attracted to being around men, mm-hmm. being around my, my brother. I have an older brother, about my friends. And I, I also know that I wasn't one who wanted to do like some heavy sports like other guys, like, mm-hmm. you know, football or running or things like that uh, and I am more on the I would say sensitive side of a person so uh, I noticed that about myself I was fully aware of my differences between me and my peers 
back then I wasn't it was nothing sexual or it was it was just pure I think that naivete that I felt drawn to I do have a lot of close girlfriends at school I like hanging out with them I like talking to them because I think they didn't understand me better than the guys I think it just kept building on that and there was nothing that holds me back from you know like my parents never said that I shouldn't be hanging out with girls so much or I should play sports with the guys and things like that so I just gradually I was gradually growing up into that world that I never questioned anything about myself even though I, I know that I was different from the other person but I never asked why why I was different or would that be good or bad as being different so I just I sort of embraced myself as I grew up more when I was in I think uh, secondary school then we started having feelings for, for, for other persons I knew that I, I felt more strongly towards the guys than the girls when you know like people start teasing about each other you know are you gonna have a boyfriend or a girlfriend things like that and I, I, I think I pretty much had a clear idea about who I wanted to be with at that point in time a lot of time I have seen stories because back then I started reading stories about you know homosexuality even though it wasn't something that a lot of books or articles published but I, I found those on uh, I think on the internet when we first had that I started to look into that and and say oh so there's something there, there there's the kind of love that is not between the boys and the girls mm-hmm. so I started understanding that unlike most people that I read at the time was rejecting themselves, you know, feeling bad about why is this happening to me? I am ashamed to my family. Um, why do I have to be this way? Is there any cure for that? I embraced it myself. I said, okay, I'm different and that is who I like, who I am attracted to when I see that person. So I think I'm fine with that. My first, my first popular love or, or my first love was in high school when I met a guy when I was in um, grade 11. And so that's how I knew it all come down to who I am and who I'm attracted to. Right. There's a woman like that. I just embrace pretty much everything. I, I, I didn't have a lot of time on my, on, on my hand to do whatever I want because I was drawn to uh, working hard and, and studying. And uh, I got achievements in my academic field as well back then. So I, was, I think I was happy during that time. As a teenager, I got to study abroad. My parents sent me to the U.S. for a year, so I, I got to explore that. I got to compete nationally, you know, in French language. So I was there. I was I, I was offered a vast array of activities that I I was drawn to, that I was good at, or that I was given the opportunity to explore. So I guess I wasn't going through any denial process. I wasn't going any rough patch as being a, a teenager. So. Sounds like you had it better than a lot of us. I know. Because I, <laughs> I know when I look back on those years, I mean... Whew. Yeah. You know? well, they say, you know, if you like being a teenager, there's something wrong with you. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, those... In, and then, how was it with your family? I think my family uh, was supportive enough in everything that I do. Well, we are a traditional family. My parents are teachers, so we don't talk at all about sexuality or sex education. I think okay. that is like most Asian families. Mm-hmm. We avoid mm-hmm. talking about that topic. My, I remember my mom was telling me that, you know, you should focus on working, you know, not dating. You shouldn't be having friends, special friends, when you are in high school or in middle schools. Uh, I went to a high school where my dad was a school administrator and my mom was a teacher at the same school. So I wasn't allowed to have any rooms to, like, you know, sort of goofing off and playing around. 
everything I do in class will be reported right back to my parents. Right. So it, it was it was a, a pressure. So I, I wasn't. Um, I think I would say that you know the the only thing that I felt uncomfortable with was having my parents in at the same school as myself, mm-hmm. and and um, it makes me, it it kind of put me in the box that I don't want to be in. You know, I have to be there, and that was the best school in Ho Chi Minh City already. Mm-hmm. So there's no other places where I can go. Right. Yeah. I think that would make anybody uncomfortable mm-hmm. under the under the watchful eye of your parents yeah. at school all day long. So I guess that that is the, the, the kind of pressure that I have to do um, at school. Like I have to do well academically. I have to behave as a person. Mm-hmm. And I, I even though I knew that, you know, and I, even though I was happy with who I with being gay and being who I am, um, I also knew that I shouldn't be expressing that gayness or, or whatever it is that people call to other people because that might affect my parents at work too. So mm-hmm. I was aware of that. So that that was, I think that would say, uh, I would say that it, that was the only um, negative thing about my teenager's life is that I was around my parents a lot and in their environment. So I wouldn't want to do anything or act in a certain way that jeopardized their work. Right. Yeah. So that was the, the kind of pressure mm-hmm. that I had to to endure. Yeah. And at that point, did your parents know? I think they knew, but we never talked about it until I sort of officially come out like mm-hmm. after I came back from my studies in the US. Okay. During the time you were in high school, this pressure that you had mm-hmm. placed on you, how did that make you feel? It made me feel I think suffocating at times. A lot of time, you know, when I go to school, my my dad dropped me to school because he worked there, so he dropped me to school and then I go to school, I go straight to class. After class he is a school administrator, so he has his own room. I have to come to his room and, and you know, take a nap there and, and sleep. So I don't pretty much have time to hang out with other persons. I felt like you know, I have to be with my parents all the time. And it was so strict with, the, you know, after a long day, you have to take a nap uh, at lunchtime. And then you, know, you have to come back and study again and things like that. So, yeah, so I felt uh, suffocated a lot of times. My mom was a French teacher, so I was supposed to be better in, at, in French than most people. And then I had to compete uh, nationally in that language as well. So it sort of put me on the pressure was, was a lot higher. I think on my first competition, I won the first prize. Mm-hmm. So And that was even the higher pressure because I have to compete again next year. So I cannot do any lower. Yeah. Right. You had to keep, you had to... Yeah, I had to keep up with yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You had to hold your title. Yeah, so it was yeah. hard. But I think that the, the reward is all the uh, the prizes I, I got and, and the experience of going through all of that. That's not what everybody has. So um, I, I was blessed to have that, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, too. Yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of great opportunities mm-hmm. and a lot of wonderful experiences that have made you who you are today. When did you go abroad? Uh, I went abroad when I finished my 11th grade mm-hmm. in Vietnam. It was an exchange year program that I I, uh, I got a scholarship for, and I went there and, and, and studied uh, my last high school year, mm-hmm. and got a high school diploma in the U.S. And I stayed with host family in in uh, in the U.S. and I would say that that is that would be like the the page turner, the, the the moment that you know that changed the course of my mm-hmm. life in so many directions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I went to uh, Portland, Oregon, and I stayed with my uh, host family there. I went to high school in Oregon. So it was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, it was very hard at first because it was the first time that I ever lived away from my parents. 
coming to Portland was not the best place for a, I would say, for a teenager to go when they are living far away from their family. Because, you know, as nice as Portland is, it is rainy all the time. It could get depressing in winter times. From someone coming from Ho Chi Minh City, it is a big change of, of scenery. And what adds on top of that is that my host families were super rich. They're millionaires, and we live in kind of like a big mansion. That were has you in like, the West Hills? Huh? Were you in the West Hills? Uh, I was in Lake Oswego. Do you remember that I'm from Portland? Yeah, yeah I know. I okay, okay. I know, no. I okay, know, yeah. Because yeah. when you said that, I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so I'm, for, for anyone listening, I'm from Portland, Oregon as well. Okay, yeah, okay. all right. So uh, when I was in Portland, my host family were uh, very nice people. They are super rich. My host dad was a uh, stockbroker, mm-hmm. and my host mom was a housewife. Okay. And they had two beautiful boys. I, I was lucky enough because I was chosen by them. And I think what adds to that luck is the fact that I know French. At that time, at, um, they were looking for a French exchange student mm-hmm. so that you know someone can speak French to their sons. Ah, okay. So And they asked the school that I was going to enroll in, Riverdale High School. And they asked for a, a, a French exchange student, and they said, there's no French coming this year, but there's a Vietnamese guy who can speak French fluently. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, let's have him. So so when I was there, the first week I had to stay at like a coordinator person. The house was um, like a typical American house. I was, uh, and I had a lot of other exchange students living there waiting for, for their host family to, to come and pick them up. So I had, for the first week there, everything was new and I had friends and I was in a, a, a nice enough house in in um, Portland, and I was I was I was feeling comfortable, and it was good. And then a week later, my host parents come back from a travel, uh, I think to London or somewhere, and they came and picked me up, and I stepped in the their mansion. It was like a four or five stories uh, house with a an elevator in the house, and mm-hmm. and back then it was something very huge for me because we never had that in Vietnam. And I remember the first two days I got lost in the house. I never know which way to turn and things like that. <laughs> so it was uh, it was intimidating at first. I remember crying the first night I was there. Well, even, I mean, Lake Oswego, because I'm from Portland, Lake Oswego is known as the nice area. a wealthy area. If someone says they're from, we call it LO, mm-hmm. but if someone says they're from Lake Oswego, you automatically associate that with affluence. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that worked. Their house was on, I think it was, was by the river. There was like a, a boat dock going out into the river. So it was a very nice house. And I remember the first day that I went to school, I didn't know how to ride a bus back then because I, you know, post family are supposed to help me with that for the first two two weeks doing that. And the first day, my host dad just asked the driver to drive me to school in his uh, Rolls Royce limousine. Of course. Because <laughs> that's normal. <laughs> So yeah, so it was it was a, a life like like I said, it was a life changing experience for me, yeah. and everything that and that affects me until I think up to this day, mm-hmm. everything about that that time and 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 I figured that makes sense because that was the time when growing up, you know, like physically and, and emotionally, and I was you know exposed to all of that, so that changed the the rest of my life to that too. And then during my time in in the US, you know, I had a lot of friends in high school. I wasn't close to them because, you know, as an international student coming there for just a year, you can't get close to a lot of people and build relationships on that. At times, I felt kind of left out at school, mm-hmm. not because I wasn't able to adapt, but then, you know, American friends, you know, they say hi to you, they are welcoming you, 
but to be like in the inner circle is 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 kind of impossible things like that so i there was always a, a sort of distance between me and the american friends i can relate to that mm-hmm. being a foreigner yep you know a lot of places can relate to that mm-hmm. it's like you don't quite people are friendly but you don't quite fit in mm-hmm. you will never be one of no you'll never be one of them yep. yeah yeah Especially, I think, especially when you're when it's that age, mm-hmm. it's different when you're an adult. Mm-hmm. When you're in a high school situation, social group, how did that affect you and your ability to grow? Mm, I think it affects me. Um, the, the biggest thing that affects me was the uh, the quality of life that was that I was given. I was given care uh, in in a very nice place, and and they were very nice people they never question me about you know like my sexuality or how what I'm doing at school you know, they just give supportive uh, comments which is I wouldn't say directly opposite to what my parents did my parents put a lot of pressure on me I know they love me but they do not express that love as something encouraging or motivating but they rather put me to be the best that I can be in a pressuring uh, kind of way but the host parents were were showing me a, a different side of, of, of uh, motivating and, and, and supporting people, so I, I really appreciate that. Like I said, the uh, the kind of life that I was offered during that time kind of sets the bar for me as to where I want to be uh, in the future, as to if I want to continue to have this kind of life, I have to work hard, I have to do better. I have to, if I want the nicer things in life, I have to really work for it and things like that. So it kind of turns me into, okay, this is what I want to have in the future, and this is sort of like my life goal to work towards too. And, and then, you know, like at school, I had uh, I had a few gay friends. And like I said, we're not super close, but, you know, I was, we, we were close enough to observe, to observe them, to talk to them, and, I, and seeing that how naturally they felt or how, how easy they felt being who they are and, and expressing who they are, that makes me like, Okay, I want to be like them. I want to be able to, you know, love who I want to be, share that story with everyone, and being who I am without fearing other people will judge me and things like that. So that's how it, it gets me to to feel like, okay, this is something I have to do eventually. I have to come out to my family, to my parents. I have to not minding people knowing the fact that I am gay or things like that. So it helps me a lot too with that. So that's how I decided to, as soon as I come back to Vietnam at 18, Years old, I came out to my family. We'll get into the, the coming out story afterwards. But I think a lot of people that I met, like even today, I usually ask them, have you come out to, to your family? Or they ask me, have I come out to my family? And as, as, as soon as I said, I came out 18, everybody was kind of like, oh, hi. They didn't think that, you know, someone can come out as, as early as 18. or And that was a long time ago. So, so I think they sort of like reflect back to their story if they didn't come out yet. And, you know, they ask themselves why. And if they did come out recently, a lot of them ask them why did they wait that long to come out. Mm, that's so, interesting. Yeah. I will tell you from being somebody who's from Portland, Oregon, not everybody lives that way. <laughs> well, I think even my host dad, you know, when we came there, and then the first few days that he said, you know, we're not a typical American family. This is not what every American has right. in, in America. Right. I think you're aware of that. Yes, it sounds yes. like you're aware of that. Yes, yes. But another funny thing about Portland is that, so because my husband's not American, and the first time we went to the United States, I said, Oregon's a really nice place. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other really nice places in the United States. 
Oregon's particularly nice. People are really nice in Portland. Uh And so, you know, he'd be like, oh, I like America. I like America. I'm like, no, honey, you like Oregon. (laughs) You like Oregon. Uh And then we traveled around the United States quite a bit. Uh And then when we came back, instead of saying, I like the U.S., he was like, I like Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) I like Oregon. You know, Oregon is is a good place Uh to have your first experience from my perspective as an American. Sure, sure. Portland's a friendly place. It's clean. It's nice. The rain can be a little bit much. Uh-huh. You, you get used to that. And uh-huh. I get used to the humidity uh-huh. and the heat in Vietnam. So we adapt, right? I think the same thing happened to me too when I was in, Port- in Portland, Oregon. And I was there for like nine months for mm-hmm. studying. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of time like walking out, walking downtown and, you know, mm-hmm. doing shopping and everything. And I enjoyed that. But I didn't really realized how much I loved it when it was uh, back for for like a few years back for my um, my business trip so I, tra- I got to travel for like from east to west I went to Boston and New York and LA and, and all the big cities and after going through all the big cities I realized that you know Poland is or something similar to Poland is where I want to live uh, for a longer period of time it uh, is special yeah. Yeah. I, there's nothing I like more than just going downtown Portland and just walking around. Mm. Or even having a stop at Pioneer Square. Yeah, Pioneer Square. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just walking or walking along the river, mm. waterfront park. Yep. It's so nice. You know, you had this great experience in the United States, and it sounds like an exceptional family. Time to grow, time to reflect, time to really decide who you want to be and how you want to move forward. You come back to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What happens next? All right. So the coming back to Vietnam was a choice, was my choice, because my parents didn't want me to. Their plan was not to send me just for a year. Their plan was to send me for a longer period of time. So essentially high school and then university, college, and then probably getting a job and staying there. That's what all families wanted for their kids, I would say. I had a, um, an, a re- some relatives in, in the U.S. too. My aunt, who is my mom's older sister, lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. And she wanted me to, to come to uh, her house and stay there and go to universities and everything. So that was the plan that was laid out for me. But then, you know, as I said before, I had my first boyfriend when I was in 11th grade. Mm-hmm. So I, when, when we just started dating, you know, like four months later, I had to go to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it was heartbreaking oh, at that right. time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we tried a long-distance relationship for the whole nine months I was there. And halfway through it, I knew that I wanted to come back to Vietnam for the boyfriend. So I made the call not, not to continue my studies in the U.S. and come back. And, you know, like as young as a um, 17, 18 years old person, you know, you, you kind of believe that, you know, everything's going to last forever, you know, and so does love. Yeah. So back then, you know, I said, okay, I had a good year of experiencing the U.S. culture and everything. So I think I'm, I just want to come back to Vietnam and be close to my family and my boyfriend and my friends. And so that, that seems to be a good choice or a good call for me. So I, uh, I decided, I told my parents, like, hey, I want to come back next year. I'm not going to study in the U.S. anymore. And my parents are like, they're, they're, they were mad, but they did not try to show that they were mad. And so they, they started asking questions, you know, why you want to come back? You know, life is better in America. You get a better job. You get a better education. We didn't spend money for you to be just there for one year. We can support you for a longer run, you can go to your aunt, you can live there, and things like that. And your cousins can help you with, you know, uh, work in school and getting a job later on. So, uh, and then my aunt persuaded me to stay there as well. They said, you know, you have a, 
uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Not everybody can come to the U.S. to study. Not everyone can afford that. And your parents can't support you with that. Why did you just wash it all away and come back to Vietnam? So for them, it is kind of a a failure if you are coming back to Vietnam, or if it's 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 like you are having you're being given a chance and you just throw that away. Right. I had a few months to discuss that with my parents, and I had to persuade them and and let them know that you know coming to Vietnam is a good choice for me, and I felt better, I felt more comfortable, and things like that. I said that you know if I were born in the U.S. or if I moved to the U.S. with my family with my parents, I would gladly stay in the U.S. because mm-hmm. I have a support system and I have everything. But being away from home and my aunt, she she moved there when I was too young, so I wasn't feel bonded or connected a lot with her. So having me living with her is is for me is still like living with my host parents. So it's 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 the same uh, kind of relationship. I think I wanted something more than that. So that's how I, that's how I I decided to come back. But then I guess back then I was aware that I had I made a decision to come back, and I had to I would say I had to put the extra work to prove that to other people, to prove that to my parents, so that I that was a good choice. That was not a a something impulsive choice that I made just because of a guy or just because that I wasn't thinking clearly. So I had I had to really work for it. So when I started doing, uh, I when I started the process of of putting things together and coming back to Vietnam, I didn't want to cut out all ties to the U.S. I didn't want to like not giving me a plan B. So I I still went through the process of applying to schools in the U.S. Uh, I got accepted at, at PSU. Tell us about what what happened next. Okay, I like I said, I wanted to make sure that I have still have some ties to um, to the U.S. or. If anything changes, that I decided to go go back to the U.S. I have a school to to go to, so I applied to a few colleges in, in the U.S. and then I got accepted to PSU, um, and then I I even took the SAT and then going through the whole process of, of as an American student applying to school in, in the U.S. Um, I, I think one of the reason I did that was because you know towards the end I there was. After like you know almost nine months away from your boyfriend and you know things are starting to get you know like um, less passionate or you know like messages are, are less frequently and things like that. So I had a sense of, of, of you know what is going on and, and so yeah. So when when I decided to come back to Vietnam and you know the summer came and I came back to Vietnam, I had to start applying the the, the application process for the school in Vietnam too which was RMIT, and that was my only choice. So I had to do some research beforehand. I know that, you know, they had the the major that I was interested in studying. I knew that their tuition was affordable for my family, which was obviously lower than in the U.S. Of course. Their application process, what they need, and things like that, so I got that done. So as soon as as soon as soon I get back to Vietnam, I took my IELTS, and I started the, the application process. I knew that they had the scholarship options too, so I applied for the scholarships as well. As well, I knew that way before I came back to to Vietnam. So I, I was aiming for that scholarship. I started doing a lot of like community work hours in the U.S. to you know like polish my application, my background as a whole. I had to, to retook the 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 um, the IELTS, so you know I got a, a lot a higher score to. Qualify me for 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 the scholarship better, and luckily enough, I got a full ride to RMIT. Wow! Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Well and um, and so that that was the thing that changed everything. You know, I told my mom, hey, and now that I have a full ride to RMIT, there was no way or there was no reason for me to come back to to the U.S. because you know it's it's, it's free to study here. The school is the the school is essentially the same. 
the only difference is that there is no like um, environment like in the U.S. You, you don't have American friends. You don't speak English every day in life and things like that. But the good thing is we cut costs on, on, on studying and cut costs on living, and I get to be with my family. And that was that was um, all all win for me. Also, one other point that I made with my parents when I was in the U.S. was that they had to sacrifice a lot for me to be in the U.S. The cost of living is, is extremely high. They are teachers, so obviously they don't make the best salaries in the world, and especially in Vietnam. I remember that at that time their government salary benchmark was like, a, I would say, $25 a day, like a month, on their um, government salary. And uh, my, my dad was a little bit higher, but that is that is a lot to sacrifice for. for they had to work like... 6.30 in the morning until like 10 p.m. at night. Wow. So it was a long day for them. It was really harsh on them. And I didn't want them to have to sacrifice that for me that much if I'm studying in the U.S. And then me being in the U.S., having the support of my parents, I wasn't feeling comfortable because we didn't have a lot of money. So I, I wasn't, I have to be always be conscious about what I spend, what I do. You know, I can't afford Starbucks every day and things like that. So I know we both are not going to be happy. My parents are sacrificing. I have to sacrifice and I'm not happy about. So why doing that? Why not, you know, like combining everything and live in one place and, and we can all be happy. And uh, like I said, I, I, I stay with a good host family. So that kind of sets the bar as to where, where I want to be in life. So I said, you know, it's, it's better for me to be in Vietnam and being able to keep up that lifestyle in Vietnam rather than that in the U.S. That would be a lot better, uh, I think, for, 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 for all of us. So when I came back to Vietnam, because even though my parents didn't make a lot of money, we were in the, I would say, in the uh, um, upper medium level in society, so we were having a good life in Vietnam. So I said, I just keep that up and, and maintain a good life like I was in the U.S., but everybody can benefit from that. That's one of the main reasons I, I decided to come back to, so that we all can live better. So when I got the scholarship to RMIT, I said, hey, with that money, you don't have to spend on my education. Why not get me a car? <laughs> <laughs> and how did your parents feel about that? <laughs> because I, I've always wanted a car since I was, I love cars. I've always wanted a car since I was in, in middle school. And I knew that my parents can afford that, but they say they, they want to save it for a ready day. They want to save it for my education in the U.S. and, and things like that. So that, hey, now you don't have to pay. Okay, so now we know what your real motivation was. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. So they get they got me my first car. It was a used car, and it was it was a nice one. So I cars a car. Yeah, cars are cars, <laughs> especially in Vietnam. Yeah, and back then. And back then, that's yeah. um, I knew how to drive a car way before I knew how to drive a motorbike. So back then when it was too the weird sensation, but it was nice to when I went to school in RMIT, I, I drove a car. I was a scholarship student and driving a car. So it and I was one of the very first few students at, at RMIT to have a car. I was gonna say, did anyone else have a car? <laughs> I think three or four cars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was it was a fun uh, experience. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked out. So when you came back and you told your parents about the full ride and all that stuff mm -hmm. and that you weren't going back to the U.S. once you made all those plans. Mm -hmm. how, how did that settle with them? I think, I think it, it started to, because I, I would say all parents wanted to be close to their kids. Right. One way or another. Of course. Yeah, they all wanted to be, they, 
if they had a choice, if Vietnam has a good education, if this and that, you know, they would want me to be close to them. Yeah, they course. wouldn't want me to send me like halfway around the world. Yeah. So now they know that, you know, RMIT is a good school because back then it was, they back then RMIT did not have the reputation as it is now. Mm-hmm. Back then RMIT was seen as a school for rich kids who cannot go to government schools mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And that's their fault back then to go to RMIT and because they don't, they don't take exams, you just apply, you pay the money and then you got it. Right. So that's that's how uh, it was seen back then. But you know, my parents being in education, they knew that the school was good. The quality of the, the diploma is the same as if you are studying in Australia itself. So the DID grew on them, and and they they accepted it. So they they, they were glad that I'm home. You know, they, they they were glad that I had a good school to go to, and they didn't have to pay for. And um, so so they 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 was okay that I I stay in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. well, that works out well. And then back, and then well, one of the reasons is back then my brother was in France, so he 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 moved to France up way before I went to the U.S. So it was good for them to have a kid home with them. So at what point did you make the decision to come out? I made the decision to come out when I was eighteen. Uh, so I came back in the summer of my eighteen years old, and I came out sometimes around September. So it was three months later. And, and then just just for a note that you know back then I broke up with my boyfriend, my first boyfriend. Okay, okay. Yeah, so how so. so when you came back, let's let's backtrack then. So when you came back, what happened with your boyfriend? So when when I came back, you know we met again. Uh, I was happy. He was he looks happy, mm-hmm. and uh, we hanging out for a few times. But you know there's always a sense of something different that I felt mm-hmm. and that I couldn't make sense of it yet. But I felt the connection was off. And I gave myself, I said, I gave myself some time to think about that, to try to work it through. You know, like maybe when we have time to hang out more, then you know it will all come back and things like that. So I hang out with him for I think probably two, almost two months. There was always something off about that. So one day I decided that this is not what I'm in for. I don't, I don't need this. So I, I just decided to break it. Breaking up was a process that was a lot different than back then than it was now. I didn't say that we break up. We never said anything. I just left. I just like suddenly left it. Okay. Before I went to the U.S., we sort of like bought each other rings and things like that, just as a, a, a token of remembrance from mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So when I one day, I did, the day that I decided I'm not going to be in a relationship anymore, you know, I asked him to give me his wallet and just like you know, getting money for for drinks or something like that. And then I put the ring in his wallet, and I just you know left that day. And like the night came, and he realized that there was the ring in, in his in his um, wallet, and he asked me and said, "Let's end it." So that's that's how it ended. That's how it ended. Yeah. Okay. And you moved on. Yes. And then it was after that that you decided. And then after that, that, that I decided to to come out. Uh, so that was during a fight with my mom. Uh, because you know that that was a, a huge change for me to you know from the US back to Vietnam you know tradition transitioning into the, the Vietnamese culture and and my parents parenting kind of way so they they started to like you know, act like I was still a kid and you know they tried to control everything about my life and you know what time I have to come back home what my curfews are and things like that and then so one day I felt suffocating I said this is not this is not what, what I want anymore. I had a whole year in the U.S. I can do whatever it is that I wanted to. Even though my, my host parents, you know, have a certain rules in the household too, it was good enough. And it was, I, I would say it was respectful enough for me as a person, you know, because they knew that I had to have my space and they knew that I had to have 
time for me to do things on my own. And, and they give me that time, that space, and that responsibility that goes with it too. So I expected the same for my parents. So that was, we had a huge fight about, you know, like their expectations and my expectations, and I don't want to be in, in that kind of environment. So I talked to them, and it just suddenly came out. You know, like, because at that point, I remember thinking that this is just, just house rules and things like that. This is nothing comparing to, you know, like, I don't want to see myself 10 years later being forced to get married, to date, to things like that. I, I picture that life for myself, and, and that is not on the list. So I, I just decided, let's just get it over with. And I, I want to, like, be able to date people and bring home to meet my parents and things like that. I don't want to date people in secret and, and keeping, like, a double life. So I don't want that. So at that point, I said, okay, let's just get it all out of the system and, and see what happens. So it just, it wasn't like you even planned it. It just came plan. out. Yeah, but I, 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 back then, I knew it has to happen at some point in time. Right. Yeah. So what happened when it came out? So when, when it came out, you know, like the fight just suddenly stopped because it turns the fight into a whole different direction. Mm -hmm. So my mom stopped being mad and she said she kind of suspected Back before I went to the U.S., I had a, a like a, a, a last trip with my boyfriend to Nha Trang. And, you know, obviously back then I couldn't go alone, so I asked my mom to come with me. So she sort of, you know, from the, from the look of it, I think she knew back then, but she didn't say anything. When I, when, when, when I came out, she said, was him your, your lover or your boyfriend? Because she sort of suspected it. And so, so I said yes. And she... She asked me, you know, how do I know that I'm gay? How do I know, have I ever been with a girl? Have I ever dated a girl? Have I ever tried something else? Or was that the, the teenager sort of like a crisis? Mm -hmm. So back then, before, um, so let's backtrack a little bit. So after I broke up with my boyfriend, I had a girlfriend. Oh. It was, a brief, it, it was a, a brief time. She was at the same high school with me. We were in the same competitions, and we were pretty close over a few activities together. So she liked me. I decided to give it a try. Yeah, yeah so why not? Because like, she was adorable. She was a really nice person. And she was smart. She was funny and things like that. So I said, why not? We, we, uh, I think we dated for like four or five months mm -hmm. after that. So by the time I came out to my parents, that ended. And I said, I did try with a girl too. And as nice as she was, I knew that, that wasn't a match. And that was not for me. And um, the funny thing is, when I started dating that girl, I told her about who I am, about me having a boyfriend before that. And uh, it is the choice of whether she wanted to be with me or not. Wow. Yeah, so I, I was trying to be upfront about everything That's and wonderful. trying to be honest about who I was. That's great that you did that. And you also didn't put her in that position. Yeah, where right? she has to find out. Where she has to find out later and then maybe think. Yeah, because I have always discussed the men who, or gay men who married a woman just to cover up. So I have always hated that. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that shows respect for her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so then what happened after Okay, so my mom, you know, like she said, Okay, so give him, give her some time to think and she said that, you know, she is not going to forbid me from being K or anything. She's not going to put a pressure on me. She just mm -hmm. want me to know that she will support me mm -hmm. if I am gay for life yeah but uh, she didn't want me to like think that i am gay and keep being gay because i think i'm gay okay so my mom was she was obviously sad at first you know i could see it in her face and but she did she then said that you know she would support me through anything she just wanted me to make sure 
that I know who I was, that that wasn't just a phase in, in, in teenager's life. And um, if I happen to be with a guy that I like, that's great. If I happen to like a girl, that's that's wonderful as well because love is love. And, and that was that for me. And one thing I was I was uh, fortunate enough was that my mom was supportive and they sh- because I, I prepare a whole different speech in case you know, she rejected the idea and she, she you know, I forbid you to be gay and things like that too. And so I had a different speech for reserve for that too. But I did have to use it, so it was good. What was that? It was, well, you know, like things happen and we came down to like, uh, I forbid you being gay or I don't want that or you're such a shame to the family and get out, things like that. I say, okay, I'm not asking your permission for me to be gay. I'm just telling you that I am uh-huh. gay. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, just curious what if what that would have been if yeah. that was the case. Yeah. I, I'm grateful also for you that that wasn't the case and that it was yeah. accepted. Yeah, and then I did have to deal with my dad because that was a fight between me and my mom and I just told her and I I, I figured she would tell my dad eventually. I mm-hmm. didn't have to do that with my dad. So oh. and he didn't he didn't confront me afterwards. Other he knew as well. So that was good. So have you and your dad ever talked about it? Yep. Never. Never. Never have to talk about. It. But he always knew. Right. Yeah. He's never given you any. No problems. hardship or no problems or no nothing. So that was good. Huh? Yeah, it was good. And good. Um, my my brother, I think my brother knew too. He was in France long enough to know that, and you know he, I think he would he, he could tell. So mm-hmm. he didn't act um, when it came out to my mom. I think my mom didn't tell my brother because he was so far away. And so what? So he decided to come back like a few years later, and he just, you know, like he just joked one day. He just joked about. Um, not seeing me with anyone, he said, "You know, are you having? Why don't you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend?" Right. He just kind of said that, and it's just you know. And so I, 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 back then I knew that he knew too, and so I didn't have to come out with him too. And he's just sort of you know. So it sounds like a lot of it was just unsaid. Yeah, a lot of it was just, just unsaid. Unspoken. Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of gay people here too. Like they don't officially come out to their parents. But once the parents stop questioning about the dating life and whether they're gonna get married, they know and they mm-hmm. they wouldn't they want they don't want to confront it, but they don't want to put their kids through the awkwardness of, of, of the awkwardness of, of having to come out. Mm-hmm. So I think that was uh, the the subtle kind of parenting that is uh, good for Asian culture as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because it's very different than in the West. You can have people who are very accepting, mm-hmm. and you can also have. People who will, you know, kick their children out of their home. Uh, that's very common in the United States. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, we have homeless teenagers from, you know, when they come out to their parents, that they will be kicked out of their home and they end up on the streets. So it can be it can be one extreme to the other mm-hmm. depending on the culture. So now, as a adult, as a gay man navigating the world living in Vietnam and having all this amazing experience, you know, speaking th- three different languages, yes. French, English, okay. Vietnamese. Do you speak any other languages? Nope. I tried to learn the Chinese, but it was too hard for me. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so being, you know, multicultural, bilingual, you know, being a businessman, living in Vietnam, all of these things, how do you find in navigating the worlds that you're in now? I think now I'm just focusing on myself most of the time. I have to know what I want to do, what I want to be, how I want my life to be. And I have to, I think I would mostly try to make the best out of life for myself first. Mm-hmm. Because I know that not any other person, even your lover, even your boyfriend or your husband, 
is going to always be there for you. I had a post about, you know, for or forever and now, you know, like nothing lasts forever. So the only person you have with yourself forever is you. So you have to do that. And I have to constantly like reinvent myself or renew myself, rebuild myself to be the best version of myself that I can be as well. Because I think each individual gay or straight is or black or white or Asian, they are like an ambassador to their race or to their sexuality completely. So if I'm doing things that is bad as a gay person, they will judge the whole gay uh, population as, you know, being bad. You know, if they do drugs, they will say, you know, all gays do drugs and things like that. So I have to be mindful about who I am just for myself and other people as well, especially people in the, I would say, minority uh, population. But one thought that came to my mind was that, you know, I was lucky enough to be gay and be accepted and being in Ho Chi Minh City, which is the most accepting places of all in Vietnam. And, they, you know, like that luck doesn't just come if you're not working for it as well. You know, like if I'm not having a job, if I'm living on my parents' money and things like that and being gay, they would say that, you know, it's, it's a different story. It would not be, people would not be as uh, accepting because they tend to look for, I would say people tend to look for a success story of somebody and see that, oh, that buddy is gay, but he's doing well, so it's okay for him to be gay. So, so there, 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 there's a thought. So they, I have to constantly to be, to be doing my best to build my luck as well in life. So that's why I, I fail. So it's, it's a pressure there too. Do you feel like you have something to prove? I think yes and no. I have to prove to myself that I'm not, uh, that even if I'm different, I can't always be successful mm-hmm. as a, because being gay has nothing to do with your, your success or your background or your, or anything. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it's easier for people to say, like, to, to take the failure of one person and define the whole population of that or of someone similar to that person. So it's, it's, it's a lot easier for them to do that and to judge people. So I would rather not have them do that to me or to other gay people. Absolutely. I think, you know, we all have to be, it doesn't matter what your background, race, sexuality is, we all have to work to prove to ourselves Mm -hmm. that we can be the best version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. However, what you said about, you know, if you're in a minority group, you are put under a microscope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, because, like, you know, if a white person who is a thief, they don't say that that person is a thief because he's white. But if the, a black person who is who happens to be a thief, they would say, "Oh, that person is a thief because he is black." Exactly. That is the, the difference. Right? And you can insert any minority group yeah. into that, yeah. and it's the way that you know. And it doesn't just come from you know west and east. I think I've been to you know I've been all over the world. It doesn't matter where you go; everybody has their biases. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their minority groups. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their cultural differences and or biases. Mm-hmm. So. You're absolutely right about that. And I think through my experience of coming out, um, I would say coming out is not for everybody. A lot of people are not coming out yet, and some people may never will. And and talking to them, I said it is a good choice for them not to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people uh, at my age or older than me who came from like um, of, of like villages in the mountains or things like that, where their parents do not know anything about you know gay or straight, so it's better to keep them not knowing. Uh, as long as they do not force you or, or, or put a pressure on you on the uh, emotional side. And then just keep it at this. Because not all parents can be accepting mm-hmm. as my parents. And I know that was a, I, I was lucky in that regards as well. Yeah. 
because you know my, my, my mother was teaching was teaching French so she was in the influence of, of you know the French culture and everything so she she more open-minded than most moms that I know so yeah I mean it's a fact that when you are exposed to another culture and or another language you become more aware okay one last question so you've been fairly fortunate in your experiences but you've also earned the place you are today what advice or suggestions would you give to other people in Vietnam in the LGBTQ plus community moving forward in the time that we're living in now? Are there any pieces of wisdom, advice, anything you would say to someone growing up now in this time, looking back on your experiences? I think one of the things that, um, that is important that I would tell other people or, or other gay men or women to, to, be, to, to do is to be themselves, uh, to be true, to be honest to themselves, to know exactly what they are, who they are, and what they want in life. Not having to live their life on somebody else's point of view or, or not be afraid too much of how people will judge you and, and, and think about you. Because they may think about you at that moment, but you know the other moments in life, they think about themselves too. So, so don't be so harsh on yourself. You know, they might, you know, oh, he's gay. It's weird, and that's it. That that's the, the only thought that they will think about you. They would not try to dig deeper into your life because they know nothing about that. You have to be able to be comfortable with who you are, and you know, voice your opinion, know what you want in life. And in order for you to be accepted by most people, you have to educate yourself. You have to make yourself the best version that you can be, so that people will respect you. And once they respect you, they will forget about your sexuality, they will forget about your background, your everything. Once you behave well. It is all that they look at for the moment. And I think that's, that's, that, that's the only thing that is important because I think a lot of people who are gay and decided they do not want to show it, they do not want to live that life, afraid of judgments from other people. And I think that's, that's sad because this life is short and, and why living like that? Yeah. And I think the more we act normally, the more we accept ourselves, or the more what we act like we have nothing, that nothing is wrong with us, the more people we look at us that way and, and, and think that there's nothing wrong with gay people. Well, there is nothing wrong with yeah. gay people. Yeah. And anyone who thinks so. Uh-huh. You, can't control the, you can't control the behavior or the thoughts of other people. Uh-huh. You can only control your behavior. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And I think I was, I was happy enough to have a, a, a lot of friends who are gay around me and have a group of friends who are, we are, you know, close to each other and I think it's, it's important for other people to, to have that too because I saw a lot of gay men who, who is like a low wolf. They do not have anybody to share with. You're going through life as a gay man and not having friends to share with, about family, about friends, about issues, not healthy for them. You know, a lot of people who do not accept themselves as being gay and just hang out with straight people, mm-hmm. they will feel lonely and, and lost. So it's, it's good to have somebody who share that experience with you. It, it could be a girl, it could be a group of girls, or it could be other gay men too. So it is important to have a support system. Are there any resources or suggestions or places that people can go in Vietnam to find other gay people or other LGBTQ plus members? Do you know of any resources or any places that we could possibly put in show notes? I I don't think I I don't think there's anything that is publicly doing that yeah. in Vietnam. There's a gay a little bit gay pride thing yeah. uh, or organization that that uh, organize uh, gay pride every year. But it, I wouldn't say it. it's not a community yet, and they wouldn't give you a lot of resources here. Okay. 
and uh, most of the time people meet each other or like gay bars and, and stuff and, and those are not what I really recommend yeah you could go there for like you know for drinks or for, for, for having fun but to find a support system there I don't think it's it's, it's, it's a viable place mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I think we need that too we need that as well and I think two years ago I briefly had an idea about the need of having that a sort of like a, a community to support other people or other gay people in Vietnam mm-hmm. to, to do that because I think that is that is uh, important for people especially for, for a developing country like Vietnam mm-hmm. as well and if I were to be able to do that you know I wouldn't call it a, I wouldn't fight for gay rights because we all have rights we all have human rights so we don't fight for rights rights is we are born with that it would be something like you know gay empowerment you know because we have rights now we have to empower ourselves to be better we shouldn't be fighting for rights because the more we fight for rights the more we acknowledge that we do not have rights yeah. but rights is, is, is what we are born with yeah. i also believe strongly that it's not the it's not the job of the minority group to fight for their rights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not how it should work mm-hmm. it's the job of society in general yeah. to give everybody equal human rights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we shouldn't fight for our rights but straight people should fight for being more accepting. Exactly. That's exactly what that's exactly. Yeah. Well hopefully someday in Vietnam we can have some sort of organization. Organization, community center, community place, even if it's a virtual space Mm -hmm. where people can come together and connect. Um, you know, outside of a bar scene. Mm -hmm. All right. Well Bao, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate your honesty and your story. And I'm so glad that you joined us on the story to share. All right. Thank you very much for having me. I hope my story can resonate to other people. I'm sure it will. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the story to share. This is episode two. Please find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts and we will catch you next time.